Desiree. And I'm Tyrone. And we are not your attorney. On this segment of Who said that? Who said that? We are, I guess, talking about us. Tyrone, you're finally in New Jersey. Yeah, I've been talking about this for, I don't know, weeks now, but I have finally fully transitioned into this new place and boy am I exhausted but (laughs) it is nice to be paying less rent and to have more space so Mm -hmm. you truly cannot complain in that regard and you know I still get to Manhattan pretty quickly actually quicker (laughs) than when I lived in Bed-Stuy so that has been really nice and um you know, just learning the neighborhood, new grocery. I don't know where I'm buying groceries. We talked about that before. <laughs> yeah. So um, there's a lot of DoorDash happening right now. Mm-hmm. I just had some um, tasty lemon pepper wings. <laughs> 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 What's going on with you, Desiree? Uh, I enrolled back into school. So I'm starting this certificate program at NYU. Oh, yeah. Um, it's music industry essentials just to kind of get more of a foundational knowledge I guess of the music industry I so I have homework now and I forget that I have homework and shit to do oh no homework (laughs) so you know I thought about it today like girl you didn't do anything this weekend you could have done homework yeah I I did not do anything (laughs) so I have to remember that I'm in school yeah, I mean, I was not the best about doing my stuff on time. I was a big procrastinator. So when um, I finally stopped having to do homework, life got much better for me. So <laughs> I, I feel your pain. Oh, I'm going to try to get through it. The course, I'm doing the um, accelerated course. So it'll be four months as opposed to um, spreading it out over a year. So mm-hmm. I need to act like it's four months and get my shit together. So I'm gonna have to start doing homework. That's what I'm all I need to say. All right, well, I'm gonna hold you accountable. <laughs> good, good. <laughs> all right, well, uh, let's get into these lawsuits. Another person who needs to be held accountable but is trying <laughs> to appeal that decision, <laughs> uh, Katy Perry in this dark horse lawsuit. Yeah, so we've talked about this before, but I think it really has been catapulted into the spotlight since we finally have a decision on the outcome. So Katy Perry has been the talk of the town lately, as we've said, and we're not talking about the new sexual assault claims against her by a former dancer in her Teenage Dreams video. We're actually talking about this dark horse copyright infringement case. So Katy Perry, Dr. Luke, and y'all have heard about him all the time with the Kesha claims. Yeah, his Um, own. Right. Max Martin, Circuit, Sarah Hudson, and guest performer rapper Juicy J, and Capitol Records, 
they were the defendants in this case and were all ordered to pay damages of $2.78 million to Christian rapper Marcus Gray, a.k.a. Flame, which is only a small fraction of the $41 million originally filed for damages. Yeah, because that made actually, I mean, um, Dark Horse was a huge song and it made a lot of money. So truly, that is, like she said, a very small, small sum in comparison. So after comparing Perry's Dark Horse to Flame's Joyful Noise, a California jury found substantial willing infringement involving the 2008 Christian rap song. The ruling was unanimous. That means all of the entire jury agreed. And they said, despite testimony from multiple experts and musicologists that called the similarities coincidental and involving the basic building blocks of music, which I have opinions on. (laughs) (laughs) So a quick comparison of the track reveals some striking similarities, though it's entirely unclear if the infringement was merely coincidental. In the terms of who pays what, Katy Perry was ordered to pay roughly $550,000 of the $2.7 million fine, while Dr. Luke was ordered to pay nearly $61,000. Capitol Records was ordered to pay $1.2 million, while Warner was charged a relatively paltry $29,000. The remaining fine will be distributed among the other defendants. And what we find interesting is how much the label spent to make this song a success. So mm-hmm. Dark Horse earned the label $12 million in revenue. However, and that's one song. That's not an entire album. One song. Right. <laughs> so, however, Universal Music spent $11.7 million to produce, promote, and distribute the hit single. In the end, Capitol Records claimed just 629000 dollars in total profits that's just crazy it makes no sense they barely profited and spent that much mm-hmm. honestly i can't even remember how this song goes i know the video looks super cheesy i remember that part listen it was right when i was about to graduate law school and i just remember being like oh i like a Katy perry song <laughs> really yeah no okay i have to go back and listen to it i know i've listened to the comparison parts with the loops but i don't can't tell you a lyric at all which is you know it's funny because i know people who juicy j's on the song and they're like oh man this song is great except for when juicy j comes on and ruin it (laughs) and i'm just like first of all juicy j is the only reason this song is good Right. <laughs> so breaking down the cost, a representative for Universal Music revealed that the label spent $13,600 for a wardrobe stylist for a single night. In addition, Capital spent $11,212 on hairstyling for the music video awards, $600 on a manicure for her appearance on Jimmy Kimmel Live and over $3,000 on hairstyling for Saturday Night Live and The Tonight Show starring Jimmy Fallon. (laughs) But let's get back to the case. Perry's attorneys have decided to appeal the decision. And according to her attorneys, the writers of Dark Horse view the verdict as a travesty of justice. There is no infringement 
also read as no collusion. <laughs> there, there was no access of substantial similarity. The only thing in common is an unprotectable expression, evenly spaced C and B notes repeated. People, including musicologists from all over, are expressing their dismay over this. We will continue to fight at all appropriate levels to rectify the injustice. And I would like to chime in now because I am usually on the side of musicians, but in this case, I totally agree that what they're claiming this copyrightable like flame is, it's it really isn't in the sense that it's it's too small of a portion of music that he's trying to claim is like no one else can use it. Cause truly it's like they said, it's like three notes being played or four notes actually being played like in a very quick succession together. But like, there's so much more to each of these songs than just those four notes. So I think what it really played into the jury's mind in my opinion is that A, Katy Perry doesn't have a good reputation for a lot of people. <laughs> um, that's not a shout out to Taylor by any means, <laughs> but she does not have a good reputation. And then also, I think it was the whole putting secular music against gospel music where people were mm. like, oh yeah, here the secular world comes trying to, you know, steal gospel music. And, you know, someone even brought up the fact that she, she you know, she used to be a Christian artist too. And they were like, she, of course, if she was a Christian artist, she had to know who this rapper was. And so <laughs> that means she must have had access to it. And I was just like, sounds like we have some not so smart people on this jury because they usually they use the wrong factors in coming up with the, the final outcome, in my opinion. Well, I will say, I do think there could possibly have been access because apparently his song was nominated for a Grammy. Mm-hmm. Now, um, when I listened to the comparison, I didn't think it was that close. I'm like, well, maybe my ear is not so trained. It wasn't a striking similarity. Like, yeah. And I don't think that it was coincidental either, but I just don't necessarily think that it bought down to a case to where, you know, it can impact the law completely. Right. Um, so maybe for me, this should have been a settlement but you know there the case is getting appealed so we'll see what happens but in any event i'm always down for the black man winning so <laughs> on that alone like go ahead flame <laughs> and if you want to um decide for yourself head over to our instagram we posted a comparison video and you can uh, put your comment in the comment section about which one you think um or if you think they sound similar or not so Another black man that Desiree probably is supporting, um, <laughs> Lil Nas X, Mr. Billboard breaking record breaking man himself. So he is being sued over copyright infringement for his song "Carry On." So Montero Lamar Hill, aka Lil Nas X, is now facing a second lawsuit for copyright infringement. This time for the song "Carry On." Music publisher Music Force claims that Little Nas X's version samples a song with the same name written by Bobby Caldwell. So in the lawsuit, Music Force is looking to receive $10 million 
for damages to remedy confusion in the marketplace that it alleges completely destroyed the value of its property and $15 million in punitive damages. Like, first of all, he has one song out. You ain't getting this. You are not getting it. Right. And maybe 19 weeks at the top of the billboard, but come on. Yeah. Mm-mm. Um, As mentioned, this is a Little Nas X's second lawsuit for copyright infringement. The first was focused on Old Town Road. Initially, Little Nas X bought the beat for $30 from a Dutch teenager who eventually sought more compensation after the song became a hit. Apparently, the beat samples Nine Inch Nails 34 Ghost Floor. Mm. And if the purchase agreement was renegotiated, I hope there was a clause to make the teenager responsible for all clearances, which, you know, would basically let Little Nas X off the hook, rather, since he was like, okay, sure. Here's more money, and you also can go and pay for the clearance. <laughs> exactly. So it'll be interesting. I haven't heard much about uh, that case Mm-mm. going after the initial, um, you know, publication. So maybe they settled or will settle, but we'll see. It's a big hit. Not my favorite song, but people seem to love it. <laughs> Ferrari is suing or threatening to sue fashion designer. Philip Fine for taking a photo of his shoes on top of his Ferrari. So German fashion designer Philip Klein posted a picture of his shoes, a limited pair edition of his Phantom Kicks with a dollar sign at the end, which retail <laughs> for over $800, color coordinating with his $350,000 plus green Ferrari 812 Superfast. The shoes were perfectly placed above the word Ferrari on the back window of his car. After posting this photo, lawyers for Ferrari stepped in and sent Klein a cease and desist letter, which demanded that he remove the photos from his Instagram account. According to the attorneys for Ferrari, these images visually associated his brand with Ferrari's trademarks, and Ferrari does not want to appear to be endorsing Klein's products. I have thoughts on this. Um, <laughs> so in letter, Ferrari's attorneys exclaim in these pictures, Ferrari's trademarks are used, again, for promotional purposes of your brand and products, unlawfully appropriating the goodwill attached to them. Your behavior, however, is even more harmful and serious in this case. Uh, okay. All right, Ferrari. <laughs> The attorneys go on to say that Ferrari's trademarks and model cars are associated in your pictures with a lifestyle totally inconsistent with Ferrari's brand perception in connection with performers making sexual innuendos and using Ferrari's cars as props in a manner which is per se distasteful. (laughs) Now, I don't know if y'all seen any Ferrari ads, but... I've seen sexual windows all the time, but go on. So further, Ferrari's attorney states in the letter that this behavior tarnishes the reputation of Ferrari's brands and causes Ferrari further material damage. In fact, the undesired connection between Ferrari's trademarks on the one hand and Philip Klein's line of shoes and the questionable manner in which they are promoted on the other hand is interfering negatively with the rights enjoyed by Ferrari's selected licensees, which are exclusively entitled to use Ferrari's trademarks 
to produce and promote lines of shoes Ferrari branded. No, I can understand that point. They have Ferrari branded shoes. You want people to wear Ferrari shoes with while driving a Ferrari car, but come on now. <laughs> the attorney for Ferrari formally asked Klein to remove the images at issue no later than 48 hours from the receipt of the letter and states that Ferrari will bring such unlawful, unfair, and harmful behavior to the attention of the courts if the photo was not removed in 48 hours. Klein responded on Instagram stating that this letter was blackmail and called for fellow supercar owners to show off their Pine sneakers alongside their cars. Pine went on to say, I will not remove the pictures and I will start legal action against the company Ferrari for this unprofessional behavior. I expect an official apology in all caps from all caps, <laughs> Mr. Luis C. Camilleri, exclamation point. <laughs> who is the CEO of Ferrari. And in response to the claim that Philip Pine brand is not aligned with the Ferrari brand, Pine outed the CEO for dating a porn star and paying tons of money to scrub the internet of this information. So this got real messy <laughs> real quick. Messy real quick. I said, okay. He said, you don't want my shoes to be messing up and tarnishing a brand. For these sexual innuendos, but you over here dating a porn star. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, back to the legal basics. Given the positioning of clients footwear in the photo, i.e., right next to the Ferrari logos, and with the color coordinating colors in mind, consumers might be led to believe that the two brands are working in collaboration for clients footwear collection or otherwise affiliated in some way, which would give rise to the merited claims of trademark infringement. Now, mm. I went on Pine's Instagram account today right. before recording. Right. The photo is removed, the photo in question. He did not remove it within 48 hours, but he did later remove it. However, he does have other photos and videos on his page with his shoes on top of his Ferrari with his shoes on top of his Rolls Royce and things like that. Um, but it's not, at least the Ferrari, other Ferrari videos, they aren't so close to the logo. The shoes aren't so close to the logo. Yeah, see, this is the issue for me. It's because the Ferrari's getting into this game of, like, who can show our vehicles on social media game? And it's like, I get, I guess it, it's like you did, like, when you went to go look and see what the actual photos look like. I think yeah. it, also, it comes down to, like, what the photo in question looks like. Because in general, you can't stop people from posting on social media, like, a car that they own. <laughs> like, right. like, there's just <laughs> right. no way you can get around that. Like, that's just not how branding works. And that is outside the, you know, the purpose of trademark law. And I like even if someone happens to have their own brand, like it doesn't matter if they're not trying to pass off their brand as being associated with yours. Which I guess to them, it can't, it got really close to the line, especially if they hired an attorney to actually write a cease and desist. But I think that's just a very slippery slope because you can't really. It's like when, you know, Microsoft and all of these software companies, they started trying to enforce, like, 
the licenses after you purchase software. And it's like, no, no, I purchased it. Like, it's mine. <laughs> You're right. like, like, no, 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 we, no, the transaction is over. Like, I'm going to use my, it's like, as long as I'm not trying to say that, like, Ferrari is paying me, like, we should be good. So. Yeah, I think, um, you know, if he was, if Klein was making it look like it was a collaboration, mm -hmm. I think the caption just said, had like some apples, green apples, because the car was green. Right. The shoes were green. Um, so, you know, interesting. It was an exact match. Maybe Klein was inspired by that color. I would say, was this color trademarked? And maybe that will be something that they could sue on as opposed to them thinking it was a promotion. I didn't think with promotion. Right. Or showing a collaboration, especially based off all his other photos and videos, that is something that he does. But um, we'll see how this plays out. He did take down the photo, so it may just end here. But he hasn't, Klein hasn't stopped uh, his tirade against Ferrari. You know, he even pulled 50 Cent into the mess. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. But it just sounds like a white man scorn who can't do what he wants to do. <laughs> The Philadelphia Phillies, uh, they are suing over the ownership of their mascot. So baseball team Philadelphia Phillies is attempting to obtain ownership over its team mascot, the Fanatic. According to the complaint in the 1970s, Bill Giles, Phillies executive vice president, created the vision for the mascot, a green, fat, furry, big-nosed character accessible to children. The team alleges it worked with and paid $215,000 to a company called Harrison and Erickson to develop a costume for the Fanatic. The Fanatic was worn and brought to life at an April 25th, 1978 home game by an intern at the time. Now, 40 years later, after the Fanatic has become incredibly popular, the team has received a notice of termination of the copyright from the lawyers for Harrison and Erickson. The termination provisions of copyright law allow for an author to reclaim rights after 35 years. Stay tuned for the breakdown where we talk about this more. But the Phillies say that Harrison Erickson is falsely claiming it created the copyrighted character while ignoring the Phillies' role in designing the fanatic's costume. The Phillies are seeking a declaratory judgment that the termination is ineffective. Harrison Erickson cannot sue the Phillies for copyright infringement. The Phillies argued several points to support its request for a declaratory judgment. And declaratory judgment is a judgment of a court which determines the rights of parties without ordering anything to be done or awarding damages. By seeking a declaratory judgment, the party making the request is seeking for an official declaration of the status of a matter in controversy. The Phillies' argument include. First, the team says that since Harrison Erickson has renegotiated the terms of a license agreement over the years, that Harrison Erickson has sacrificed its ability to terminate. Second, the team asserts that Harrison Erickson fraudulently obtained a registration from the Copyright Office by calling the fanatic costume an artistic sculpture. And then third, the team insists it is a co-author since it played a material role in designing the distinctive features of the costume's design. And fourth, 
designing the character at large. Fifth, the team says even if termination is effective, it has the right to use derivative works. Sixth, the team says that the threat to make the fanatic a quote-unquote free agent implicates trademark law. And seventh, the Phillies say that Harrison Erickson may be liable to the team for breach of duty of good faith and fair dealings. The basis of the lawsuit treads on authorship and intellectual property that could have a major implication for the entertainment industry as a whole. The working and contractual relationship between the Phillies and Harrison Erickson in the creation of The Fanatic will matter and determine who really is the author. If Harrison Erickson can demonstrate that it really is an author of valid copyrighted material and assigned rights, a court could explore this aspect of the law that states that termination of a grant of rights may be effectuated, notwithstanding an agreement to the contrary. This is the breakdown. Today's topic, copyright termination. Section 203 of the Copyright Act permits authors, or if the authors are not alive, their surviving spouses, children, or grandchildren, or executors, administrators, personal representatives, or trustees to terminate grants of copyright assignments and licenses that were made on or after January 1st, 1978, when certain conditions have been met. Notices of termination may be served no earlier than 25 years after the execution of the grant, or if the grant covers the right of publication, no earlier than 30 years after the execution of the grant or 25 years after publication under the grant, whichever comes first. However, termination of a grant cannot be effective until 35 years after the execution of the grant, or if the grant covers the right of publication, no earlier than 40 years after the execution of the grant or 35 years after publication under the grant, whichever comes first. Because notices of termination under Section 203 may be served at their earliest, 25 years after the execution of a post-1977 grant, the first date on which any Section 203 notices of terminations could be served was January 1, 2003. Notices of termination must comply in form, content, and manner with requirements and a regulation issued by the Register of Copyrights. And that was the breakdown. Now let's get into a couple of updates. I'm pretty excited about this case and also that it's finally coming to an end because my excitement actually comes from this being one of the first cases that we ever discussed i mean like when we first started pop law yeah i think it was episode three um this case is a cash money and aspire records lawsuit when they are fighting over drake's royalties yes so finally years later we have some answers to wrap everything up so for those who don't remember back in 2008 cortez bryant who once served as Lil Wayne's manager, signed Drake to the record label he co-founded, Aspire Music Group. And after signing Drake, Bryant entered into an agreement with Young Money Entertainment, a joint venture between Cash Money and Lil Wayne to provide Drake's services. Under the agreement, Aspire had the exclusive rights to the distribution of Drake's recordings through and including 
his sixth studio album in all territories globally except for Canada and would receive a third of net profits from Drake's first six albums. The music label will also retain one-third control over associated copyrights. According to Aspire, Cash Money cheated the label out of its rightful share. And Cash Money, and they say Cash Money created fake statements. I remember that was like, what? What? <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and they were minimizing and outright denying the profits earned from the recordings. In addition, monthly accounting remained irregular and largely erroneous. Then the label pocketed the money after ignoring repeated requests from Aspire to review Cash Money's records, allegedly. Right. <laughs> Young Money Entertainment filed a counterclaim to obtain a share of proceeds derived from Drake's recording distribution in Canada. The court sided with Aspire and denied Young Money Entertainment's counterclaim. Now back to the initial case. After six years, the parties have settled the lawsuit. So, in the voluntary stipulation of discontinuance with prejudice, meaning they're not filing again, right. at the New York Supreme Court, Cash Money Records has finally settled with the Spire Music Group. And clearly, the terms of this remain undisclosed because most of them do. But the move, <laughs> it comes, you know, six years after Cash Money allegedly signed a, a direct exclusive artist agreement with Drake. So, it's sort of... Um, bittersweet for us that it's finally wrapping up but you know it's good that they finally can move this out of the courtroom and get this behind them because i'm sure this was like plaguing drake and lil wayne's camps and probably made it tough for them to do business so absolutely so happy that is over um let's get into the pop culture roundup Hot Girl Summer Song with Megan Thee Stallion. Realize, give up, battle. <laughs> that's the, Nicki Minaj. That's the radio version. <laughs> what are your thoughts about it, Tyrone? Oh, I go off. I go off to it. I'm not going to even front. Like, I, I listened to it, like, the day that it came out. And I was just like, oh, this is cute. And then, like, a whole 24 hours later, I was like, okay, so I need to hear it. And now, like, multiple times a day because it was just, it's such a catchy little song. It's not like an amazing song, don't get me wrong. But like, <laughs> it's just one of those songs that when you hear it, it's, it, I don't know, it sounds like summer to me. Yeah, it definitely sounds like a summer song. At, my initial thoughts was like, oh, okay. Like you said, it was cute. Cause I wanted something that was hood. Right. Kind of like, you know, act up city girls is like, you know, we send us a hot girl summer. I can be yelling in a dude face like it's hot girl summer, right. like, shut up. But it wasn't that. It was just like, oh, okay. Right. But yeah, after a couple of listens, I like it. I mean, am I about to go play it? I... If it comes on my title rotation and it's in my suggestion track, yes, I favored it. it, But I think the more you listen to it, the more you'll enjoy it, to be quite honest. Uh, One thing I do wish I was there for was that Hot Girl Summer video because they all look super cute if y'all was paying attention on Instagram. So right, that right. video will be pretty exciting. Oh, she also um, gave some... This is completely unrelated, but still related. Then she also went on screen radio today and just went completely off on... You know what? Oh, Nikki. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. 
But yeah, Megan was supposed to be on there, but she had a Vogue photo shoot apparently, so she didn't make it. So I'm looking forward to her being back on Queen Radio. But basically, Nikki was like, uh, Megan was one of the few people that Nikki has something nice to say things about today because <laughs> let me tell you, she was dragging Trina's camp. She was. Oh, she did say something about Trina's camp. I saw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something. At the very end. Oh, I didn't know she responded. Right at the very end of the, because I was listening to it while I was getting dinner ready because I was like I wanted to hear it in real time because she was on there for like four yeah, hours. Yeah I listened to a little bit but I was like oh this still on? Okay. You know at the very end before she signed off she was like I couldn't imagine allowing someone in my camp to speak down on another woman rapper like that or something to that effect so I was just like oh mm. okay so she is not on good terms with Trina because um, I thought she was going to keep it more about this one particular guy, but she's like, no, you need to get your people in check. And then she went off on Joe Budden, too, and I was just like, what? So tonight, she's going to be on Joe Budden's podcast, so she is there live, and so it'll be a part two of what happened earlier. But one thing I can say is, you know, I agree with Nikki that Joe does say a lot of disrespectful things about women, and he is not a man who tends to seem to apologize when he's wrong. So hopefully he'll take accountability for his actions. And if you don't apologize, say that. Right. And, you know, but don't you, be throwing rocks and hiding your hands. Yeah. Tamar. So, you know, so people can act accordingly. I mean, to be truthfully honest, like he's been called out for misogyny multiple times. So I don't know why we're acting surprise here <laughs> so right. i'm sort of just like y'all know that's his like brand like people just they anyway that we can go on that so he's unapologetically being himself i think at this point he just got caught by someone who's not going to let him get away with it right. but you know who's not a, someone else who's not apologizing and they're going to unapologetically be themselves is the owner of equinox and soul cycle <laughs> Oh, yeah. So apparently he's holding a fundraiser for Trump and celebrities and other people. They are, you know, canceling their memberships to Equinox. You know, yeah, I don't go to that gym. I've been because what because a friend works there for free. It is way too expensive for me. I mean, but they have this. They have these eucalyptus towels. And so when I was sick, I went to the sauna. I put a eucalyptus towel over my face. Oh, that cleared up my whole passage. <laughs> I was not sick anymore. So equal not shout out to you for that. But I don't fuck with Soul Cycle anyway because that is a cult. And equal nice is too damn expensive. So slash these prices and maybe I'll go. See, I didn't even realize I was contributing to any of this nonsense until they reminded me that Blank is owned by Equinox. It is. And I said, damn, damn, damn. <laughs> so I'm over here looking at 24-hour fitness. And I'm like, listen, I'm not going to stop working now. I just got to come up with the plan to eventually transition off because Mr. Ross over here, Mr. Steven Ross, you ain't going to be getting my money. I'm sorry. Oh, you know what? Before we get out of here, we have to send um, our condolences mm. to all the people affected by these mass shootings. These white supremacists are going crazy. Right. The media is not calling them that. Um, so just be safe and stay alert, you guys. And, yes. you know, prayers out to everyone out there. And shout out to all the Black journalists who are forcing the conversation to be about yes. racism and white supremacy and not about... Um, racially tinged language or racial rhetoric 
nonsense. Just call it what it is. It's called racism. <laughs> exactly. Um, so yeah, condolences to everyone and you know, prayers, but also like legislation so this doesn't happen. Exactly. Again. So exactly. Not to end on a complete downer, but you know, I really believe that something is in the water and some change will come very soon because people are we sick know of it. something is in that Florida water. Yes. But anywho. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of Pop Wall Podcast. I'm Desiree. And I'm Tyrone. But before we get out of here, remember always to find us on social media at Pop Wall Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can look us up. Our website, yes. poplawpodcast.com and listen to us everywhere because we are out there. And don't forget us to leave a rating wherever you're listening, especially on Apple Podcasts with that five-star review so everyone can find us. Now, finally, with that being said, remember that we are not your attorneys.